Hello, we're back for another Alphabetti Spaghetti installment of the Sleep Mums A to Z's. Like, I'm basically a five-year-old at heart and I could live off that stuff. Culinary genius in a can. I'm Kat Cubie, podcaster, broadcaster and kitty food connoisseur. And this is Sarah Carpenter, child and baby expert who puts sleep back on the menu. Sorry. <laughs> well, I hope I do anyway. <laughs> Always cheesy, which works well with Alphabetti Spaghetti. <laughs> Today our letter is A, not for amazing, that's you, or apocalypse, still trying to make that one sick. But A is for allergies, something that is becoming more common in babies and young children. Here to take us through them is the allergy health coach, Erica Silcox. Hello and welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. So being a parent is hard enough and then you put allergies or suspected allergies into the mix and it can be scary, disorientating and really exhausting with a poorly or unhappy baby. It's also, as I mentioned, becoming more common. So it's affecting more and more of us. And that's really exactly what led you into it, into what you do, Erica. So I think, first of all, we would love to hear a wee bit about your background story and how you became the allergy health coach. Yeah, so I, um, it's one of those things that I I didn't, I never thought I'd be here if I'm totally honest um I I grew up uh kind of spending winters in Andorra in the Pyrenees with my parents who were skiing instructors over there and which is where I met my husband and I was a ski instructor for 10 years so I was always coaching people uh and really loved coaching the nervous people the the people that really need somebody to be there for them to hold their hand and to you know and then to for me to see that transformation was something that I absolutely loved and I kind of carried that through the jobs that I had after that as well um, but it wasn't until I had my kids so my eldest is now seven and a half the important bit is the half obviously um, absolutely we just had a half birthday yeah, really important it's like a big milestone um, and it was hell if I'm honest um, my my parents decided to get divorced or decided to tell us they were going to get divorced on the day I was due to have my first baby. So that was really good timing. And um, so it kind of set us up for the next uh, kind of while after that. But, you know, the first birth was not great. Um, And we knew something wasn't quite, quite right with Jack, but I had no idea what it was. I just, my motherly instinct was telling me something wasn't right, but I didn't know what. Um, and I didn't really know anything about allergies. It happened that my husband is anaphylactic to Brazil nuts, but that he's only ever had one reaction and it was quite late on in his, you know, his late twenties. But otherwise I knew nothing about allergies and we thought yeah. it was teething. We thought, I actually didn't know what it was. And I had so many well-meaning friends saying, it might be this, it might be, have you tried that? Have you tried this? Have you tried that? And I'm like, I feel like I've tried everything. Um, and I felt really lonely, felt very scared and worried and guilty and I definitely think looking back that I had a bit of postnatal depression with it because I couldn't find the support I needed um went through about six doctors before somebody took me seriously um you know I was told that my stress was causing my baby to be as bad as he was um it was my fault Uh, I was just being overprotective I was a first-time mum just get on with it all babies cry you know things that I hear Mm -hmm. from parents I work with so often far too often yeah, um, yeah. And with the allergy side of things, that kind of came into more when he was about four months old. He was very lethargic, rushed to A&E, and they said he needs formula now because your milk's not good enough. Because I was breastfeeding him. Yeah. Um, and all hell broke loose. Uh, vomiting, eczema, swollen face. Oh, he was just not a happy baby. And kind of to cut a long story short, it was 
really the start of our allergy journey. Um, it was full on. And even when we got to weaning, I was kind of really left to my own devices just to get on with it and figure things out myself. Um, so when my second came, one came along, Ollie, I thought, I've got this nailed. So I've got one allergy baby. Hopefully the next one won't be. Yeah. But if it does, I know what to do. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no kids are the same, are they? No. <laughs> there's there's no kind of blueprint for how they're going to react or act or sleep or not sleep. Um, and I was determined to breastfeed Ollie because it had been taken away from me with Jack. Um, but obviously that meant that any allergens that were he was reacting to, I then had to cut out yeah. of my own diet as well. So um, it was a really, really tough start. And the first nine months was hellish again he would sleep on me 20 minutes at time every night he'd wake up um and you can probably see where this is going which is yeah. why yeah <laughs> amazing Sarah came <laughs> to help me um but the same thing that I do you know just experiment with cutting foods out and trying to figure it out myself we we're obviously under the pediatric allergy healthcare team but if I'm brutally honest they weren't that helpful um and I didn't have anyone else around me that knew about allergies. None of my friends had kids with allergies. Um, the boys were on medication for their reflux. Uh, turned out they also had asthma uh, and tongue tie as well. So even though I was breastfeeding, Ollie uh, feeding was really, really challenging. He didn't, he couldn't, he struggled to feed. His tongue was just not working. Um, and it kind of got to the nine month stage. And I remember my sister came for dinner and she just looked at me and I nearly passed out at the dinner table because I was just so exhausted oh. And she said, we need to do something. And then suddenly I had this knight in shining armor, this angel came to me called Sarah Carpenter. <laughs> and um, a few of my friends had used Sarah before and uh, Sarah had recommended that, you know, that they get in touch. And, oh God, thank, I, you know, honestly, it, it makes me emotional now thinking about it because I was in such a dark place and I really didn't like being a mum. I loved my boys to bits, but the whole kind of motherhood scene was not a fun one for us. Yeah. And just needing that support was crucial. And Sarah gave us that hope. You know, Ollie did start to sleep better. We got him off his Omeprazole for his reflux. Um, he got rid of his dummy that he was only using to help comfort him because he was sore. Um, and things did start to pick up, but it was still quite a long journey to, you know, find out what all of the foods that he's reacting to. Because, uh, yeah, basically it was a long road. And I kind of got to... I guess when they were two, three years old, and they're starting to go to nursery and to school and things. And we were definitely more on a settled plane. I knew the foods that they were reacting to, so it was fine uh, if I could control it. But there was something in me. I was like, I don't want other parents to suffer like we did. They shouldn't have to fight as hard as we had to fight to get support. Um, and I you know I took on other jobs. I, I wanted to help parents. I ended up training as an antenatal practitioner. I'm also a hypnobirthing practitioner as well which I loved doing, absolutely loved it. But I knew something was still missing. I, you know, I was still not quite fulfilled in the job that I was doing. And I've talked about being, you know, supporting parents with kids with allergies for a long, long time. I talked the talk and kept talking the talk. Um, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to go for it. So why not in a pandemic set up why a not? business? <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, and just go for it. And, you know, I know there are so many parents out there who are struggling alone and I want to help, you know, every single one of them, if I possibly can. I'm so desperate and passionate to just to be there and hold the mum or the dad's hand and say, you know, you can do this. It does get easier. 
you will be okay. And at the end of the day, you are doing an absolutely amazing job because very rarely we hear that. We don't tell ourselves that. We don't hear it from our family. We just get on with it. Um, So that's kind of where I come in. I totally heard, obviously, when you were talking about um, the birth of your first and obviously following as well with your your son, your your second son, that um, how emotional you were talking about that experience. And I was feeling quite emotional hearing you talk about it because I think even if you've not had an an allergy baby, you can relate to those feelings, but you can also imagine how it's almost like those feelings are completely magnified when you add you know, health issues into to the mix, whatever they may be, but also how lost we all are, especially when it comes to digestive things, because, you know, it is such a struggle with babies in that first wee while. I mean, before you even start talking allergies, the the issues of, as we've said, of reflux and, um, and, and, and all the problems that they can have. I think at the end of the day, motherhoods and parenthoods is a shock to anybody you know no matter how prepared we try and be you you never really understand it until you're living it and when you do add into allergies or other things that are going on with your child it's just suddenly you're like what what do I do where do I go who do I trust who do I speak to um do I do this on my own is this how it's meant to be is this normal I have no idea um and I think yeah you know looking back I do get emotional about it because it was so hard and I felt robbed of you know that new motherhood time no matter how hard it can be for a lot of parents there's still those you know those amazing times and I I definitely felt robbed of that um which is you know why I want to try and make it easier for all the other parents out there yeah I think that's so important you know it's really you, you try and sort of battle things out by yourself all the time and you know, you think, like I hear it all the time, you know, we thought it was just going to get better or we thought the longer we left it, it would improve. But actually reaching out and just talking about your own situation, you will get insights into things and it will hopefully help narrow down what's actually happening. Um, But yeah, I mean, the whole parenting malarkey is a complete minefield and there's so many things that people aren't prepared for. You know, you don't talk... they don't teach about reflux or digestive um, issues at antenatal classes. So you're going into it completely in the dark if there's any problems like that. And then it can be really hard to find people that actually listen to you. I think that's the biggest issue. You know, you know yourself from, you know, going to your GP and things like actually getting people to really take you seriously is difficult. So it's, um, yeah, it's hard. It's really tough. I did have one mum who phoned me a while ago and, and she was on the phone for me with me for half an hour before I set up the allergy health coach because I had friends of friends or friends of friends who would say, contact Erica, she could help you. And she phoned me and she literally spoke at me for half an hour. I literally didn't say one word. And she got, you know, the end of that, she said, oh, thank you so much for listening. She said, I feel so much better. And I was like, you know, I'd, I'd helped support her, but actually I hadn't really done, to me, I hadn't done very much. But for her, it was somebody that understood and goes, you know what, you're not crazy. You're not making it up. I totally get you. I hear you. I see you. Um, and just to hear that from her, I was like, this just needs to happen more often. People need to be listened. Parents need to be listened to mm-hmm. first off. It's huge. So what would you say the most common allergies are that babies suffer from? So cow's milk protein allergy, definitely probably the number one. Um, I was actually, I did a, a live Instagram with a doctor 
uh, last week, I think it was, uh, Dr. Trill, and and she's a molecular biologist and uh, with breastfeeding things, and uh, some fascinating stuff came from her. But the kind of the top eight allergens that we hear about, the most common ones, are not necessarily the ones that babies have, <laughs> which seems a bit crazy. Um, but the yeah. four for babies definitely is the cow's milk protein allergy, um, soy, egg, and then wheat is what they've researched come out as the top four. But actually, you get the other ones that people don't necessarily think of, like beef. Um, you know, there's lots of dairy allergy children out there that also have a beef allergy. It comes from a cow. You right. know, can't have the cow's, the, the cow's milk as well. It's that yeah. link. Um, tree nuts and peanuts. Yeah, that's unfortunately on the rise as well. Um, and then things like the corn and legumes and things. So a lot of the hyperallergenic formulas have corn mm-hmm. in them and the parents can't work out why they're still reacting when it should be you know dairy free and all you know allergen friendly my friend whose whose daughter had uh, a, a bad cow's milk uh, allergy ha- also struggled yeah as you're saying with she couldn't have lentils and green beans which I remember when she first found that out she was like what why how are these connected to her milk allergy it's bizarre the links that, that come out from me I think yeah as you said what <laughs> really yeah is this gonna be forever but yeah strange connections but I mean technically they can be allergic to anything yeah um it's just trying to work it out and coconut's another one as well that's yeah. quite a common one I'm hearing with more parents at the moment um both my boys can't have coconut either and unfortunately a lot of the foods that are the free from foods then use corn and they use coconuts uh, or nuts yeah uh, you know to to, to or coconut milk makes it difficult. yeah exactly I sort of hate to ask this question particularly because we've already talked about parent guilt and clearly the last thing any parent needs is is to feel guilty about anything else but can you ever prevent allergies from happening or is it just something that exists easiest answer is no phew I I kind of felt (laughs) like I had to ask the question and I'm really glad that was the answer (laughs) um I mean the there's still so much more research that needs to be done and that's the tricky thing and the advice that parents are given is changing quite regularly um I mean it used to be that you didn't eat peanuts and other things during pregnancy and then you didn't feed that to your your baby until they're past a year old and that's changed now your advice that you do eat it during pregnancy and then you try and introduce the main allergens uh, in weaning yeah. from six months, um, ideally before they turn one year one years old, um, just to try and get yeah. that tolerance level up. So unless you have allergies in your family, exactly, yes. So there's there's more likelihood if there's a family history of of allergies for sure, um, and sometimes there are you know there's studies showing showing that how a baby is born can increase the chance so if it's a cesarean birth over a vaginal birth but we have no control over that generally exactly there's absolutely no control and there's things you can do you know skin to skin after cesarean it's so super important with mum and with partner um trying to get all that that good bacteria mm-hmm. from from your skin onto your baby um that's not picked up through a vaginal birth but you know breastfeeding can try to get a bit of colostrum if you can um, just little things like that can make a big difference. Um, but I know not everybody, you know, breastfeeding is tough and you just do whatever you, you exactly. can do. Yeah. Um, you know, get them out in the dirt and the muck, get the, you know, get all the good bacteria from that. And the tricky thing is we're all cleaning a lot more. We're sanitizing a lot more because of, well, kind of, well, definitely from COVID, yeah. um, which is kind of wiping out our good gut bacteria as well. So that's, that's the tricky thing. Um, and our foods are changing as well. 
that's that's another one that's kind of showing that you know there's a lot more chemicals and toxins and things on our food we're not eating seasonally like we used to um but i think you know parents are doing all that they can um and the the basic answer is that no there's not really anything to do to prevent it there might be things you can do to improve the chances of not having allergies but yeah it's a tricky one With my clients, I am seeing such a massive rise in the um, kind of cow's milk protein allergies and intolerances. And it's definitely been, I'd say, over the last kind of nine, ten years that it's really risen. And have any of the professionals that you've spoken to had any sort of research or explanation for that? No, I mean, they they are saying it's on the increase. Um, And... Um. As yeah, I've I've watched a webinar with Dr. Fox, who's one of the leading allergy specialists in the UK, and and recently, and he was saying that there's still not any research to say why. There's theories, um, as I said before, with kind of the food that we're eating. Um, I think stress is a really big one. You know, it's really not good for gut health, uh, and again, that's a tricky one to try and and minimize, especially at the moment. You know, there's a lot going on for people. Then get stressed about being stressed. Exactly, and and you know, children and babies they they get stressed too, and it's kind of a, a vicious cycle in that way. Um, yeah, but I think you know, I look back. I know my sister definitely probably had a cow's milk allergy when she was younger those classic signs that I see now my parents say oh she's just cried for four years and her cheeks were always red but they had no idea what it was so I think awareness is definitely increasing and with social media and google and everything else you know we're hearing a lot more or really hear quicker of the cases um that, that are out there but I think it's definitely an increase but it still needs to be more research they still don't know enough unfortunately <laughs> Obviously, we're talking about allergies, but there are kind of differences in things. There's allergies, sensitivities and intolerances. How do you work your way through all of those? Like, And, and how do you know? Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of kind of jargon out there, which can be a bit confusing. But the main thing is that the sensitivity and intolerance words are really the kind of non-medical terms for a delayed right. reaction. So you have two main reactions, um, an immediate reaction, IgE reaction. Um, and that's the one that you typically see happen very, very quickly. So it can be within a few minutes up to one to two hours after um, ingesting or, or touching the allergen. Um, and for for some babies as well, there can be a secondary reaction after that. Um, so that's kind of one to watch out for. And that's more of uh, kind of it's the immune system attacking the body. So the antibodies are created um, and, and then histamines are produced. And then that's what causes the reaction. Um, so symptoms include for that could be hives, uh, redness of the skin, itchy mouth. You might find that your baby's kind of sticking their tongue out or starting to scratch at their neck. Um, they're just feeling a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, vomiting, coughing, uh, kind of then gets to more severe end of wheezing, finding it harder to breathe, and then eventually getting to severe anaphylaxis. Um, but I want to reiterate that severe anaphylaxis is actually very rare in babies. Um, it's more that yeah. if they do have an anaphylactic reaction, it will be mild to moderate. So don't be, you know, don't be starting to panic that they're going to go into full severe anaphylaxis. Yeah. It is rare. Yeah. Um, and then we move on to the delayed reactions. So the classes non-IGE, non-immediate reactions. Um, and these are kind of, I guess, the more common ones that I'm seeing. I don't know about you, Sarah, um, but I'm seeing more of these more um, delayed reactions uh, more commonly. So this is when the digestive system 
mm-hmm. is kind of more part of it rather than uh, the antibodies being produced. And these are kind of more the more the like sensitivities and intolerances exactly. yeah. idea. Yes. So it'd be more stomach pain, um, diarrhea, constipation, which is one that parents don't think of. And um, they think it should be diarrhea, but actually it can be constipation yeah. too. Um, vomiting, eczema, so skin related issues, very common. And um, then the excessive crying, or what's known as the colic, <laughs> excessive crying, yeah. and then a rash uh, or hives as well. Um, but that can take up to three days for those symptoms to start happening which is what makes it really difficult for parents because either yeah. mom is eating it and it's gone through her breast milk or if she's breastfeeding or the, during weaning, you know, they've had it one day, but they don't react for the, the third day after that. And I think, well, how how do I link that? Um, yeah. And that's what... And it can be a build-up totally. as well, can yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's... So it might not actually be, there might not be a reaction a few days after, no. but if you've been having it over like an, a sustained period of time, that can be the impact. Exactly. And that's kind of... I think more for formula fed babies, it, it kind of they get to the two, three, four months period. And that's when the things, the symptoms start to kick in and, and the parents are like, oh, what? why are they suddenly reacting? They've had this milk um, for yeah. a while. It's, and why is that? Just that the build up. up. Yeah, the body kind of gets to its tolerance levels and says, right, I've had enough now. I, I'm going to start telling you that this is not OK. Um, just because you, you talked about breastfeeding and coming through the milk, though, I, I think it's quite important, um, or I'm sure you would say it's important to say don't cut anything out until you have spoken to someone. Yeah, there's there's things that you can because do. There's no point, because it could be anything, exactly. and you you don't want to be taking something away from your diet or your babies if you don't know that's the thing Definitely. it is. Definitely, yeah. Um, because it's quite miserable if you're having to cut things out unnecessarily. Um, you know, parenthood, as, as we've all said, is, is tough. And if you're suddenly not allowed your chocolate and you're... Yeah, all that kind of stuff. It can be difficult. (laughs) So kind of my advice would be that if you're suspecting that there's a a reaction, try and keep a food and symptom diary for a couple of weeks if you can and make it as detailed as possible. So you're putting in if if so if for instance mum is breastfeeding, she's putting in what she's eating, when she's eating it, uh kind of the quantities, any other information you can put in, and then what's happening with baby, uh what reactions or symptoms are they having. Uh, what's their sleep like their nappies like take photos of the nappies even though it can be disgusting um I've sent many yeah. poo nappies yeah. pictures to Sarah yeah. My phone is <laughs> full of them. Yeah, I have a whole album <laughs> but it tells us a lot so just get as much evidence as possible so that when you do go to your GP you can say actually I've got all this evidence you need to listen to me something's going on and you can look for patterns then as well it's, it's easier to work it out rather than trying to think you know through sleep deprivation how do you remember what happened an hour ago and yesterday? It's hard. Exactly. So you mentioned sleep there, um, which obviously gets Sarah and me excited. We've got to bring it back to sleep. So in what way would you say that allergies affect sleep? I mean, every child is different. Um, some babies, it affects them more in the day and they don't like to nap. Um, and then actually at night, they're not too bad. But it could be the opposite. My my first child, Jack, he was actually a really bad sleeper in the day and at night was pretty good. I mean, obviously still wakes for feeds, but it was, you know, the normal yeah. amount of time. Whereas yeah. Ollie slept not too badly in the day, but nighttime was absolutely horrific. Um, and yeah, I think at nighttime when it's quiet, there's no distractions. Yeah. Uh, they're lying on their back. You know, things start to to be sore if they do have reflux and they're lying flat. It's obviously easier for the acid to be coming up 
um, and making it uncomfortable for them. Um, you know, their legs are coming up to their chest because they're sore, they're wriggling, uncomfortable. It might be that if they do have a milk allergy, they're quite snotty and uh, kind of mucusy. So that makes it harder for them to breathe in terms of like they're snoring or um, it's just uncomfortable for them. Uh, but I mean, that's kind of from parents that I've worked with and from my own personal experience. I'm sure Sarah's got lots of stuff she can tell us on uh, sleep disruption. But I think the key thing is that you'll know when it's not normal. <laughs> Babies do yeah. wake to feed at night, of course. And, you know, some parents are really upset when their babies don't sleep through the night, forgetting that their tummies are really small and they do need to feed quite often. But it's it's when it's napping rather than proper sleep and they're exhausted the next day. Uh, you're exhausted. It's not a good combination. I think, you know, you've hit the nail on the head there, saying about it being normal because, you know, it's the, it's the inquiries that I get and the clients that I speak to and they're like, you know, it's just the cry. It's the cry that they're doing. And you can tell, you know, it's that awful high-pitched painful screaming and you do know you know that there's something not right and that's when you know that everything's totally disrupted you know sleep day and night can be disrupted behavior mood you know um a client of mine who's got a four-year-old who's got a gluten intolerance it was identified purely through behavior and mood when they started nursery it was a case of you know and they've always been a great sleeper but they developmentally, you know, they were just so angry all the time. And it turned out that it was a gluten intolerance. And that's what, was, you know, the pain that they were constantly in was making them angry, understandably. My, uh, I'll come and talk about it a bit later, but my son had yeah. an extreme reaction to something and we were on the phone to NHS 24 and I kept saying, but it's the cry, the cry. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this was helpful or not, but who we were speaking to said, yeah, that the, the cry is, yeah. is the, the baby's sense of impending doom because they're scared for that and I was like wow okay now I'm not feeling better about this situation at all but I guess that is you can hear the cry differently but having said all that although Sarah and I talk about all the time with the kind of stop listen look idea as a new parent that can be really hard and we're talking here about allergies sensitivities and we're also throwing reflux into the mix which is common but also you have that natural thing that babies have immature digestive systems it's really difficult I know that there's the extreme level that we're talking about but I think it's really difficult as a parent particularly as a new parent but any parent to work out the differences in those and you you don't know what's normal and so one way or the other you either you know, are, are terrified that little things mean something bigger or you think, oh, I don't want to be that person, that parent who's running to my GP all the time over something that I should really be just accepting because I'm a parent. It's so hard. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't have an answer to that. I'm sure you mm-hmm. don't either. But apart from the fact of trying to find support. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's definitely the 100% thing I say to any parent is for anything that's going on, find somebody you have confidence in and that you trust and that you click with I think that's really important you know you can build a relationship with that person and if you don't find it keep fighting don't just stop you know for me having to go through six different doctors I was like I was determined you know before I had kids I was quite shy very quiet I just tried to please everybody else I just mama bear yeah I just went into the background a bit and suddenly I was like this is my baby and I need help now and I'm not leaving till I'm getting it and suddenly they go oh well, we'll help you just to make you go away. That's fine. 
I'm I'm a bit like I was a bit like that too having since having kids I definitely wouldn't have been like that in a medical setting prior to having children but as you say it brings out the mama bear in you but I really worry about the parents who don't feel able to do that um who don't who aren't don't feel able to shout as loudly um for whatever reasons or feel comfortable or confident or have communication problems or any of those things because and it's about how to help those those parents as well Mm -hmm. For sure. I mean, I one of my practices, I've just been changing how I'm working with parents because I'm trying to make it as flexible and as approachable and easy for parents as possible. And definitely the, one of the services I offer is messaging, which I know Sarah does as well. And I had a mum on the way to hospital recently with her baby who's having a reaction at the time. And she was in a complete panic and she was messaging me and I managed to message her on and off for the next hour. And it was about keeping her calm and helping her have the confidence to speak to the doctor and ask the right questions. And something simple as me saying to her, and when your husband comes back from getting you some food, give each other a hug. Because, you know, you forget that when you're in that blind panic and your baby's not that well, that you also need that support and reassurance from somebody. And so it's having that real time, uh, support alongside you with somebody to hold your hand and it's not confrontational because you're not having to phone me you're not having to see me for those people that don't like that way of communicating it's a message it's a bit more protective almost um but you know somebody's there for you and I think that's really important so you're gonna ask about weaning Again, I suppose coming back to the sort of clients that um, I speak to, you know, they are all quite reluctant. If there's been identified allergies, they can be really quite reluctant to start weaning. Um, But then I also know that from my experience with um, Emily, my consultant was really pushing early weaning. Out of all three of mine, she was the one that I was like, actually, can we just try and hold off until six months because I don't really have time? But but the consultant was like, no, you know, we're going full steam ahead. And they actually ended up starting to wean Emily in hospital. So, you know, I get it from both sides. You know, I I do appreciate that it can be obviously quite daunting. You know, obviously you're you're worried about the flare-ups and it having a knock-on effect. What sort of things do you recommend when you're speaking to people and how do you tell them to tackle it? I mean, on, on when to start, that's, yeah, obviously the guidelines is start at six months for most children, unless there's other things going on. Um, but I think the key is definitely taking it at your baby's pace is one thing I would say. Um, mm-hmm. And the advice is that you do try and get the allergens in before they turn one years old. But actually that puts quite a lot of pressure on parents if they are having the kids having reactions that you then need healing time before you start introducing something else um and suddenly you know your baby's getting to eight nine months you think oh my god I've only got you know a few months left before we get to that one year point so I think it's a good guide but take it as a guide only um Mm -hmm. so for starting off weaning yeah I think it's important for the baby's digestive system to get used to food um so it's starting off with the vegetables and again not the really windy vegetables I've you know I've yeah. had a client I spoke to a while ago and she's like oh we're doing broccoli and cabbage and parsnip and all these things and she's like <laughs> she's really windy I was like yeah I was like no wonder the poor child um but it's trying to get variety um you know and it, it's it's keeping it fun and simple and you know ideally and you know with all the hope in the world they're not going to react generally to those kind of mm-hmm. foods you know the green leafy veg 
um, and adding in a little bit of fruit. And then it's really taking things really slowly. And again, getting that food diary, um, having a bit of a plan and a strategy as to when you are going to introduce an allergen, how you introduce that allergen and taking it super, super slow, especially if there is history of, um, you know, family history of, of allergies or the baby's got eczema or they're starting to teethe, any of those things. Definitely don't do it when they're teething because their immune system is fighting off things as it is. Um, so it's it's doing it when your baby's really well and settled and just taking your time. So, yeah, starting off with the veg, bit of fruits and then bringing in. Um, so that's weaning for any baby rather than a baby that you suspect. And an allergy baby. And an allergy baby yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. So right across the board. Yep, Definitely. My heart totally broke. We had a message the other day, or saw a message the other day, a mum saying that their child had been diagnosed with reflux and they were being encouraged to wean early, but that she didn't want to because of the six-month guideline because it feels very set in stone for people. Mm-hmm. And what she also said was, um, because I've managed to breastfeed this whole time and I'll feel like I've failed if I don't get him to six months and my heart totally broke because I feel like I know there's really important messages in here and this is not a point to get into a discussion about all these different things but we we're we're so confused by these things that we're we're told are set in stone like the fact that a healthcare professional is telling her to to wean early because of the reflux and she still feels like it's the wrong thing just breaks my heart so I should clarify that that is why I was told to wean Emily early. It was because of the reflux, not yeah. not allergies. It was reflux. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think with all of these, it's a guide. Mm-hmm. You know, every baby is different, so these these guidelines come in. But it's not you know one size fits all. Um, and and I think you know there are some babies that are ready slightly earlier. There's some babies that don't want to wean until they're you know a bit older than six months, and that's absolutely fine. Um, it's just, you know, that's an added stress if you're panicking about when you should start. And if you don't want to start at the end of the day, your baby is your baby and you're, you know, you know, your baby best. So go with what your instincts are telling you. And yes, of course, we want to get the advice from, from the experts for sure. But I think it's getting those bits of advice and kind of setting them down in front of you and working out which bits of it you think actually, yeah, instinctively, I like that. I I understand that. I get that. That's what I want to try. Those other things I'm not so sure about. I'm just going to wait a little bit longer. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good way of looking at it. I suppose what I was reacting to was her feeling like she'd mm-hmm. failed, and I, I didn't, I didn't want her to feel like that. Yeah. I don't want you know any parent to feel like that with something that they've been told. I guess I'm wondering as well with with health professionals because they have such limited time. It's literally like, right, try this, try this, try that. Okay, and we'll see you next time. And it's not about having that time to go, do you know what? How do you feel about trying this? You know, what's, yeah. what, what do you feel about trying that? Or, you know, yeah. this time. And I think that's important to remember too. Yeah. Yeah. Like a more holistic approach. You're you're totally right. And you are right. You know, we spoke about it right at the beginning. It has to be a wee bit about intuition. Um, And, you know, that goes for when you maybe suspect an allergy, but also goes to some extent for how you deal with things but I think it is always important to explore these things within a medical setting even if you feel like you're banging your head against a brick wall a bit. So my son has what we're pretty sure that's never been 
diagnosed is uh, lactose intolerance. And he had a massive reaction, the kind that you were talking about at the beginning. I can't remember what the reaction, IG. Yeah, um, to something that we've still not pegged. And we kind of didn't take it further because it was dealt with and he hasn't had it since. But what steps would you recommend to a parent if they think their baby might have an allergy? We were obviously just talking about that, but um, perhaps we could go through it in a bit more detail. Um, yeah, so for the immediate reaction, obviously, you, if something's happening and it's quick, you call an ambulance, like first off. And that's definitely a mistake I made um, with Jack and that he'd had a nut in the car and I turned around and suddenly... His face was quite rashy. He was sticking his tongue out. He was less than two, I think. Um, and so he couldn't really tell me what was going on. Um, and I looked around 10 seconds later and the rash had spread across his whole face. And I was five minutes, 10 minutes drive from the doctor's surgery. So I turned around and drove to there. In hindsight, I thought it'd be quicker that way. But actually, I probably should have called an ambulance. And I would say to anybody out there, call 999 straight away. And then they can advise you what to do. Um the crucial thing with that is trying to keep calm for you and for your your baby, which is really difficult, I know. Um, but hopefully the motherly instinct kicks in and, and you are able to, to keep calm. Um, if your child has a delayed reaction or you're not really sure, definitely going through that, that food and symptom diary, uh, getting to the GP and chatting to them uh, and asking for a referral if you can get one. The really tricky thing at the moment is I'm finding with lots of parents that I'm working with that those referrals are not that easy to come by and they're also taking a really long time to get. Um, and then it's by phone rather than face-to-face. Um, so they're almost saying to you, if you can carry on yourself until you get your appointment and it's safe to do so, mm-hmm. then keep going with the weaning or if you know if that's at the point that you're at. Yep. Um, because otherwise, if you're waiting... And just be mindful of what you're giving. 100%. Um, but if you're waiting three, four months for an appointment, your child might have got to that one-year-old's kind of guideline and hadn't tried any allergens yet. And then you're kind of outside that window. So yeah. with the weaning, we kind of touched on it a little bit, but egg is the one that they would rather you try first. Um, and there is a specific way of doing that. Um, you know, starting off with a really tiny like quarter of a teaspoon um, and you're waiting a couple of days before you then up the, to half a teaspoon and then trying again. But keeping everything else that they're having really uh, basic foods so that you know they're not reacting to anything else. They're fit and healthy. They're happy, sleeping well, so that you can really pinpoint whether there's a reaction or not. With egg, generally, it would be more of, a, of an IgE response than a non-IgE generally. Um, <clears throat> and then it would be milk would be the next one to try. Um Again, this is all guidance. So you really have to go with, you know, your family situation. If there's an allergen and that, you know, you have in your family a lot, it might be worth trying that one, uh, you know, towards the start so that it's easier for you then to eat the similar meals and that kind of thing. Um, But if there's other things that you don't really eat that often, you can kind of put that to the end of the list uh, and kind of make it like that. So it's a bit more flexible in in that regard. But definitely to get support is, is being as thorough as you can with the kind of the evidence that we've already spoken about speaking to your GP if they if you are needing a referral to a dietitian or a nutritionist that can they help you have a balanced uh, you know put together a balanced diet for your baby then to do that as well um, but just keep fighting for your support that you need uh, you know as, as much as you can to get somebody that understands and listens to you and really works well with you. 
I think, you know, feeding your baby at any stage, whether that's in the milk months or post weaning is, is really stressful and scary because, um, it is just daunting. You never know quite if they're getting enough and what they're getting. And then, and then weaning, I know a lot of people, like you were sort of mentioning, Sarah, a lot of people put off weaning because it can be a big undertaking and it can feel quite scary when you go from that you know, just a milk, just having milk to, to introducing foods, um, <clears throat> let alone adding allergies. And mm-hmm. so you can totally understand why people would just kind of avoid a lot of stuff because it's like it seems too scary to even kind of try some of these things. But it's so important, as you're saying, like I, I kind of knew that, but I didn't really understand it, I think. I think getting to the one-year-old window, that's fairly new. We didn't have that when when my boys were going through it. Um, and I'm at to the point now where my five-year-old still hasn't had any nuts. Uh, my eldest is anaphylactic and so is my husband. And so we're at a nut-free house. And I'm waiting for skin prick testing to, to check him. And I've been waiting a year and a half and we're still waiting. So for me, it's not as important in that we have quite a controlled environment for him because he's still little. Um, but I do. I would like to know before I start introducing nuts to him whether there's a chance because family history. Um, but yeah, it can be really scary, and I think that's why you know trying to get the support you you need at the time is is crucial um, because it should be an exciting time. It should be a fun time. It's a messy time. You know, the food goes everywhere, and it's you know. But it's that's all part of it, and that's part of your child's learning. But putting allergies into it, you can sense parents are just stressed about it. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Erica. It was lovely to have you. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been really, really good fun and nice to chat to someone outside my family. (laughs) I know. It's the little things these days. (laughs) Allergies occur when the body's immune system reacts to a substance as though it's harmful and that triggers a reaction, which can be subtle, like we've talked about, and occur gradually over time, or it can be intense and scary. Um, I mentioned like my son had a reaction to what we think, and it's interesting you mentioned this, was because we he wasn't having dairy, a dairy-free coconut yogurt. And his skin went so red, he looked like he'd been dipped in tomato sauce or something, and blotches started appearing. And as I mentioned, the cry was literally like nothing I've ever heard before or since. It was completely terrifying. Um, and when we called NHS 24, they advised not t- taking him to... We, we were too far away for an ambulance and they advised not taking him to a hospital because he could choke in the car seat. I mean, the, the thought that that could happen in such a short period of time was so terrifying. Now, as I mentioned, it's not happened since. We were obviously careful of things. I always carry ha- antihistamine now just in case it does happen again. Um, so I, on no level do I have an understanding of what it's like to be a proper allergy parent, but it gave me a wee glimpse into the ordeal that you guys go to. And it is it's scary. It can be a long and tough road to find out what the problem is, as you've mentioned, whether it's waiting for a skin prick test or, or that whole process. But please, if you are worried about anything, there is support out there from our lovely guest, Erica, the Allergy Health Coach. You can find her online. There are also charities like Allergy UK who have lots of resources as well. And of course, it is really important, as we've touched on, to talk to your healthcare provider and, and to kind of try and push through that process even if you feel like you're you're not getting as much support as you would feel like you should um so thank you erica thank you you. and thank you guys look after yourselves and sleep soon 
Okay. Take care, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye.